You're listening to Joy Coaching America with the Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant, spreading upbeat, uplifting, informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Welcome to Joy Coaching America. Today, I have the honor and the great privilege of interviewing a very dear longtime friend of mine who now resides in Missouri, and he's going to tell you about that. Uh, We met in Utah, and David Crookston is one of the men that I have looked up to for so many years in the area of healing and wellness and health. Probably, I don't even know how many years. I know it goes back to at least 2001, and it could be even further back than that. But David, I would love for you to share with our listening audience a grand hello, as well as to educate our listening audience as to the things that happened in your life that inspired you to take up a journey of healing, wholeness, and wellness, and to help others to find that journey for themselves. Well, thank you, Karen. I really appreciate you inviting my wife and on your show. I, I was very impressed with um the questions you asked, because I realized that you've been doing this. Now I want to go back and listen to all of your shows and everything, because I realized that you've really taken your audience to the doctorate level in energy and self-healing and and self-adjustment work. So I am excited about about being a part of your- Well, you fit right in. And and I have to say, David, that I've had some wonderful guests on, and I would love for you to go back and listen. But you are top notch and you have been such an educator in my life. I I just have so many experiences with you going back through the years as I contemplated this interview of so many things that I've learned from you, primarily your great faith. You have great faith in Jesus Christ and in our creator and in the power of healing. And so with that in mind, I just am excited for you to share with us, what has led you on this journey of energy work and how you've combined that with a very faith-based standpoint of how you help others and encourage others to to live in faith and and health and wellness. Well, great. Uh, Yeah, I, I hope that your audience gets what I call pearls. You know, something that I have to say today that will be able to be utilized not only by the individual, but will help them find their pearls and also share. So it wasn't an easy journey. This is, this is even though I, I have had a wonderful life, there's been a lot, as it is with everybody, you know, pits and falls and valleys and sometimes great canyons you have to climb out of. But it, it really started off, um, my family, my parents were well-schooled. And they were confident in so many areas. My mom was well-read and uh, my dad was well-skilled in a lot of different trades. I was number 13 of 16 children. And so by the time I came along, uh, my parents had a lot of practice on my siblings. (laughs) No wonder you're so amazing. I had no idea. That is something I did. That's a pearl I did not know. Yeah. So I, I did not know that 13 by the world standards was an unlucky number. And I was taught how to turn 13 into a lucky number. And to this day, 13. And that was my first really experience in discovering that when people would look down on something, 
it's not necessarily true. It's a perception that they have, but I don't have to own that same perception. But the thing is, is that I was one of those kids and most people relate to this, you know, the kid that goes, why, why, why? And it's like, would you please stop it? But for me, <laughs> that was okay because my parents had the appropriate answers because they'd practice so much on the older ones. And so one of the things that we really like to do is that we would climb up in my mom's bed and she would read to us. And that started the, the imagination station in all of our minds because we didn't do TV at the time when we first got our TV, it was the black and white. And if you held it really good with a coat hanger, it might come in for a little bit, but it was I fun. remember those days. <laughs> you remember those days? Yeah. Coat hanger, yeah. But, but reading was our imagination. That's where things came alive. And it was so fun because with that, you could discover anything. But uh, they taught us really how to love to learn and to love music and to be happy. And everything that we did was just together. And we, even, we had family poems and we would have family songs and the songs meant something and the family poem you know, meant something. And it was kind of our creed. Would you like to hear our family poem? I would love to hear a family poem. Now, now get ready, you gotta listen closely because this recites all 16 children. Okay. We're the Crookston family. Ho, ho, ho. We have fun wherever we go. There's Daddy and Mama, Deep Byron, Chris Joe. There's Clark, Mark Scott, Kim David, ho, ho. There's Nene, Gail Sherry, Clay, Janet, Kay Mary. We love to work and we love to play and we have more fun every day. That and is awesome. Isn't that awesome? Is a, is a family creed, you know, how do you get everybody to remember everybody's names? <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. That is so, so awesome. We, we, we just, we just had fun as a family. You always had someone to have fun with, but, but the music was just, was just absolutely incredible. We loved music. Most of us played an instrument. My mom made it available for all of us to play an instrument. We never got famous or anything, but it taught us how to have fun. And when there was no one else around, you went and exercised your imagination, your love, and created what sounds good, what feels good. And so all of us had this ability to be able to appreciate music, unlike the radio or anybody ever could get. It's the music inside of a person that comes out when you're composing or experimenting or having fun or practicing with your music. So I have little things of of songs that I really like. And I've memorized, I love the hymnals that I get in church because that inspires me. And oftentimes those musics will come back to my mind and then I'll go and I'll start singing. I can't remember the name of the song, but we will get those little hymns and then I'll start reading the words and I'll realize the message that my higher being has for me. And I'll go, and go, you know what, that's what the message is for today. So there's a couple of ones and, and a lot of people know these, you, you'll get this one. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. You remember that one? Yeah. And then the other one by Sizzle is slow down. Oh, yes. Everybody needs to go Google that one on YouTube. Sizzle, S-I-S-S-E-L, slow down slow down and and those made huge huge impacts on my life but um it's really interesting i called 
my daughter, my granddaughter, she was 12 years old today. And I called her and I said, okay, so after living 12 years, what message have you learned that you would like to share with the world? You know, what have you learned in the last 12 years that you'd like to share with the world? And she says, life is as big as you make it. Keep moving forward. Never look back. Isn't that awesome that this has been transferred from my daughter to my granddaughter? And it's this, that one person, whoever that person is, you're making a difference. Remember, it's a wonderful life. Yes. And how he was given a chance to see what life would have been like had he not been born. You know, oh, yes, that's a very poignant movie. We watch it every year. Yes. But the impact that we have in little things that we do every day have this ripple effect in this whole world. And now it's not only in what we have, but it's also in our kids, our grandkids, and maybe our great grandkids. And because we were here, one person can make a difference. But it wasn't all that way. Every time, I mean, it sounds like a very Pollyanna world, but things happen, you know? Well, and I love how you have kept for as long as I've known you, and then I haven't even been in touch with you for a few years, but you've always kept such a wonderful, optimistic attitude. I've never known you, and I knew you at different times when there were trials going on. Yes. And still you you carried that that wonderful presence of an optimistic spirit. And I think that that is so much what the world needs now is to carry, to learn how to share and carry a spirit of hope-filled optimism in the midst of adversities. And there is so much to be excited about, about what is coming. It is so exciting. This is going to be a great day for everybody that wants to make it a great day. Looking forward to it. Don't look back. So it, it is really a, a, an awesome thing that, that we have. But it kind of started out kind of bumpy for me in first grade. In the first grade? In the first grade. And the first grade was my first of four concussions. Okay. Oh. So I ended up uh, in, the, in the first part of first grade sliding, cracking my head open. To this day, there's a lump there in my forehead where it cracked my skull open. And um, back in the day, you know, you, you don't put a cast on your head, you know. And so it was one of those things that I had to get to learn a different way. I was in trouble. And all of a sudden, my brain decided to shut down. Wow, this is going to lead us into an amazing story how you turned that into positivity. And I'm excited to hear that because what you don't know is that after you moved out of Manti, I went looking for a house there and flew out of a swing and landed on my head and got a concussion. And boy, did that give you, you know, a good knock on the head. And we'll be right back after these messages. Thank you so much for being here with me.
from sea to shining sea and beyond. You're listening to Joy Coaching America Worldwide with show host and Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America. Today, I am interviewing a very dear friend of mine who I chose to interview because of his faith-filled optimism and his passion for healing, health, and wellness. And David, you were just sharing with us how in the first grade you had your first of four concussions and the impact, literally the impact that had on your life and the choice that you made all the way back at what, age six, seven, and how you made a choice right then. And I would love to hear what that six-year-old, that seven-year-old chose to do with that rude awakening. It was a rude awakening. And, and I think that a lot of people are going to relate to this next part because all of us have uh, things happen in life. And we're told sometimes you don't get to choose what happens. Our choices come from how you deal with those choices. Absolutely. And so this is, this is kind of uh, the first of my waking up. So like I said, I had this concussion that split my head open, my head, my whole face, everything swelled up so bad. When they took me home, they would not let me look in the mirror because oh. is all I knew is that I couldn't see because my eyes were all swollen shut oh. and my nose was all clogged because it was all swollen up and I had this little space in my mouth that I could drink out of a straw. And it was like, okay, well, uh, we don't think you're going to go back to school for a little bit. I ended up not going back to the school for the rest of the year. Mm. So of course, the next thing, what can happen to a first-year-old kid that is a first-grader first is to be held back. So I was held back. Okay. Huh. And uh, this time it was a little bit different. I wasn't catching on, not only to concepts, but it's simple things that I did know weren't coming back. And, um, mm -hmm. and then... So you noticed a real change in your ability to learn the same way that you had learned before. It was frustrating because what I thought I knew, I wasn't retaining. And it was like, wow. you know, there is, I, I could tell that there was something going on. But even at home, you know, before I went back to school, uh, I, was, I was not able to comprehend simple things, you know. So people would tell me something. And it was like, it went out over my head and was like, I don't get it. It was like, not like they were speaking another language. I could, un I could hear what they were saying, but I couldn't understand what they wanted me to do. And then when I tried to go explaining something, I couldn't explain it in such a way that they understood what I was trying to get to. Mm. So it was, it was a really kind of a tough thing. But what happened is, is that it, it, it was such a struggle that it, it turned to a stress and then depression and anxiety and then anger, and then depression problems, and then uh, that was topped off by voices in my head, which turned into nightmares. And so- And nobody would ever know this, David, if you didn't share, and I never knew this, because all I knew was the happy, hope-filled, optimistic, faith-filled <laughs> soul that you are. Well, there, there is hope, but it's interesting that there's a lot of things that happen to us and, and uh, in our environment. And, and some of them are accidents and some of them are diet and some of them are uh, abuse. You know, there's a lot of things that happen. And 
and I, I found that I was an easy target for bullies, you know, and it wasn't so much that um, uh, bullies are bullies. They first asked questions. And then when they got with other kids, then the bully came out in them. But most people want to be nice and they want to understand what's going on. But then when people get, get the other, they're kind of, especially little kids, yeah. when they get with other kids, all of a sudden they turn into this pack, you know, and someone says something and then someone else has to top it, you know. And so bullying is is really one of the traumatic ways of of, of how we end up uh, getting hurt and how we have oh, it to. Is. And it's it. so prevalent today you know, in today's world. And so, wow, we ha- we need to do a whole show just on that and how you overcame bullying. Well, it's, it, it, there's a lot of different terms of bullying. You know, we say that, you know, uh, kids will bully, adults will bully, governments bully, wars, people that are, you know, uh, uh, there's so many terms of bullying. It's It's something that we've got to get used to in order to be able to be self-adjusting human beings and to be accepted in in polite society mm. in order to be able to function in order to love that self-adjusting human beings yeah. that we have to learn to deal yeah. with those who are unkind and outright cruel we can do it, can do it. Uh, god's grace is sufficient in all things and that and that that we share in god's grace you know, when we talk about mercy and long suffering and patience and love and tenderness, and everything, all of those come innate. They're all inside of us. And sometimes we have just to get the right opportunity to uh, have that and to be able to share it. So there are wonderful uh, lessons that we can learn. But I found that kids my own age, I had a hard time being with. So I found that I could be with adults. And as long as I was quiet, and as long as I acted interested, I could glean from adults and have them, uh, and, and pretty soon I found the adult language and the adult, the adult uh, body language and the gestures and everything. And so I was accepted more by adults than I was kids my And how, what age were you when you, when you discovered this? Oh, I was, I was still, you know, uh, six, seven, eight years old. Really? That's very interesting. Boy, I have questions about that. Like, how did you, do you think that that was a result of the, of the head injury? It was because, um, being, being with kids, my own age, it was obvious that I was, that I was missing, or as they say, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. But I found that uh, my desire to be with people was so great that I was willing to be quiet and listen. Mm. And if I, if I just was quiet and acted interested and nod my head, they started treating me like an adult. And That's very interesting. Yeah. And so, that was very astute for a little seven-year-old to figure that out. Well, you adjust. You find out how to adjust in, in times of... Um, fear and trauma so that you can be accepted and you'll do just about anything you can for, for attention. And if it meant just uh, being a part of a group, even though it wasn't my peers, it was, it was how I learned to cope. It was an adjustment tool. 
So do you think that you developed interest, adult interests at a very young age? Absolutely. Because I was curious and in my mind, I was still asking why, even though I couldn't ask or articulate like I wanted to, if I listened long enough, I could start figuring it out. And you had a lot of older siblings. So there was a lot of older children around you. Yes. Yes. And so I, I learned to go to uh, concerts, which I dearly loved, go to plays, which I dearly loved. And uh, as long as I just watched my P's and Q's and my temper, uh, I knew when to be quiet and whatnot. But I found that mm. I had a lot of frustration still left inside of me. And I had a ferocious temper. Oh. And when I could not... Um, get out what I wanted to I had to be heard and you think that the temper issue was a result of the head injury it was it was because I figured if anybody could give me just a little bit more time they would understand and I could I could help change the world because I had all of this pent up inside me and I was being misunderstood and no one cared and I was like you're, you're just going to be quiet for just a minute because if you don't, you're going to miss out and I've got something to share. And so I had, I had all of this energy and love that I wanted to, to share. And as we would go around and they said, what is it, David? What, what, what is it you really want? What is it you really want? And as a little kid, I knew what I really wanted. And I said, I just want the love of a good woman. Really? At a little boy age? A little boy age. I just says, I just want the love of a good woman. And I figured if I had that, I could accomplish anything in life. That just gives me goosebumps. That is amazing. And you know what? It also gives me a clue as to why you went to your 12-year-old grandchild and asked her, what would you do to change the world? What message would you give? Because you have learned that, you have learned that children have much more wisdom inside than they are allowed to have the time to formulate and put into words and to have expression to give. I think that this is fascinating and I love what you're sharing with us today, David. And for all of you who are listening out there, you know, listen to children. They might just have the out of the mouths of babes. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace. One happy listener at a time. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America. You know, this is a very fascinating uh, topic that we're having today. And I love this interview with you, David, because you're giving me insight into the mind of, a, of children and what children go through and feel. And yes, yes, we're, we were talking about the concussion that you had in the first grade and how that affected your life and how it even caused some nightmares. And we didn't get to that. So did you ever overcome the nightmares? And, and for parents who have children that suffer from nightmares and night terrors, I think that this is a really important subject. Tell us about that. 
Okay, so nightmares um, are usually an indication that the body and the mind, the spirit, the feelings are trying to be interpreted. So there's a great curriculum that goes on every night in everybody. And if you know how to utilize that, it becomes your friend. However, when you start hearing those voices in your head during the day, those can sometimes take over and transfer into nightmares. Horrific. I mean, we're talking, you know, screaming and, and yelling and everything and can't wake up. And so it, so did it you was suffer from that as a child. Oh, oh, for years, years I suffered with it. the head injury. And they finally moved me from my siblings, the, the kids my own age, on up to my older brother, because his job and me moving into his room with him is that he was supposed to wake up and listen to my nightmares because my parents from everybody else was tired of the house of me waking up everybody and then explaining this huge, horrific nightmare just so they could understand that this was real more real to me than anything awake and so it it was oh, okay. what i understand now was 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 more about little kids being possessed okay mm -hmm. and so parents please listen to your kids if they're having nightmares because there's things that are going on in their life that that really they can kids can be taken over and so uh, but, but what was interesting, my brother came to me and he had a technique that he learned in the martial arts, uh, in order to be able to look at things different. And so he says, now, David, when you go to sleep tonight, I want you to pretend that you are the director of this movie and you can say, stop, cut. This isn't going the way I want. Cancel that. Let's try this instead. And so I started doing that and I started getting better at that. I'll tell you one, I had this constant dream over and over and over. So I was, I was realizing there's a pattern here, which started me onto a whole life of looking at patterns and, and whatnot. And there was this dog that would always be down at the end of the block. And when I'd get out to the sidewalk, I'd see this dog, big, huge dog. I was just a little kid and he would run towards me, just was going to devour me like a wild animal. My job was to run the driveway, get on up the stairs and get that door shut before he gobbled me. And that would happen incessantly over and over and over. And even though I made it to the door and I was able to shut it while this dog was trying to break in, my brother gave me the skill. And he says, now, next time you decide on what you want your dream to be. And so I would have the dream and then pretty soon I found out as the dog got closer, it would shrink until when it was right at my feet, it was just this little teeny toy dog that would go yep, 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 instead of this huge belching bark that was going to devour me. That's where your power of faith came in. That's where you learned to visualize this all the way back then as a little boy. Yes, yes. And that visualization started staying with me in all my night lessons, not nightmares, not night dreams, not daydreams, but lessons. And I started realizing that I didn't have to accept what other people were saying was going to be the outcome. I could design the outcome, even though it was changing my perspective of things, it may not be in reality, but at least I could deal with it. And the outcome would be different than what other people said Oh, how did you, this was so horrible. How are you going to live with this? No, I really enjoyed being the director of my thoughts. Wow, this is, this is powerful. Just yesterday I was journaling and I was journaling about 
how habits are formed first by our thoughts, by habitual thinking. And you can have a bad habit of comparison. You can have a bad habit of jealousy. You can have a bad habit of fear because you have let those thoughts run rampant in your mind. And what you're teaching is parents and adults learn to interrupt the negative cyclical thought pattern and introduce a new ending, rewrite the end of the show. Yes, yes. So that led me into a love to look at patterns. And some of these patterns I could do something about, and some of the patterns that I couldn't do something about, at least I could change my perspective as to what was coming down in that pattern. And I got interested, in my, and my mom bought me this little Casio computer uh, when I was in high school, and it was on biorhythms. And it is, it is the rhythmic pattern of which all of us are born into. And so there's going to be up days, there's going to be down days, there's going to be crossover days between your physical and your mental and your emotional cycles and your passion. And when these collide together, it's like two cars coming into an intersection and both of them are bumper to bumper and they say, I got the right of way. No, I got the right of way. And each one of them are going to be stubborn. And the fact is that both of them have the right of way. But both of them can go through each other. You can go through that experience rather than giving way to one or the other. And when we realize that these energies clash all the time on this cycle that, that happens all the time, we then can better understand, hey, this is okay. There is something here that is happening for me, not to me. That's very interesting. And it becomes wow. a very awesome, awesome feeling when you realize, why am I feeling this way? And you're not powerless. That, no. that gives you, that puts you in the driver's seat That's right. and gives you the, the pedal under your foot. Because to- in reality, this innate energy that we all have, that's God given, when we realize that that energy, that grace really is sufficient in all ways, all the time for everything. And if we turn ourselves over to that, then we go through it. We don't go around it, under it, over it. We get to go through it. Why? Because he, the big H, is carrying us. Well, and what I'm seeing and what I'm visualizing as I hear you saying these things is I'm seeing uh, what appears to be a brick wall and trying to climb over it and all the mental energy that takes to climb over this block that you perceive is in your path when you realize that it's energy and it's diffusible and you can pass through it. It's not, it's not hard substance. It's no. just an energy and you can just, fear is just an energy that you can pass through. You don't have to exert all of this mental, how am I going to get around it? How am I going to get under it? How am I going to get over it? As though it is a solid block. Yes. Yes. Because in reality, we are supposed to go through these things. There must needs be opposition in all things, but that doesn't mean that it has to be hard. Christ has already fought the big fight for us. He is carrying us through these challenges in order for us to be able to grow. And the bigger the challenge, the better the reward, the better the growth, the the more we become like him, you see. 
And so, as the scriptures say, to seek his face. That's not only to do what he does, but it's to think like he does. To seek his perspective, to seek right. his divine perspective, his divine will, and even the expression on his face as he passes through hard things or what we would perceive to be hard. And I, I love what you're sharing because it takes every experience that we thought, oh, this was this is a hard one. Here comes the hard knock experience of my life. And it makes it diffusible energy. And we just glide through. This is an experience. It is for my good. I can pass through this. And yes. I do not have to climb over it, struggle with it. You know, I just, I love that whole imagery that you painted that picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have this, we have this wonderful promise that the Lord has given us. And, and he says, men are that they might have joy. And he means that. And that's a promise that he will never take away. Well, I love that. And I love that it is up to each one of us to learn how to lay claim on the principle of joy. And even amidst adversity, he says, rejoice amidst adversity. And he says, to be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And on that note, we will be right back after these messages. This is Karen Lynn Grant, Joy Coaching America with David Crookston at my side. Thank you, David. This is enlightening. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America. This is Karen Lynn Grant interviewing David Crookston. And you know, David, I had no idea what you, where you were going to take us on this journey with you today. I just knew it would be good. I knew it would be enlightening. I knew it would be full of optimism and that we would all come away enlightened and edified. And I truly feel because right now my husband is sick with COVID in a hyperbaric chamber four hours away in St. George. And so, you know, I was, I've been a little nervous today and feeling antsy. And I know that I was seeing it as a brick wall. And how do I scale this, Lord? How do I get around it? How do I maneuver my thoughts to, you know, to, to find joy? And so I'm so excited that you are going to share with us a formula now. And I just want to edify the six-year-old in you, the seven-year-old in you, the little first grader that, that figured this out, that got on the path to figuring out how to overcome obstacles by passing through them. And praises to your brother for what he taught you. So share with us. Okay, so this comes from something you'll recognize. And it's where two or more gathered in my name, there I am also. So that is actually a scientific formula. And they found 
that uh, when, when two people work together on the same goal, they can accomplish a lot. Two men can accomplish a lot together if they're focused. Two women can accomplish a lot. But when they found out that a man and a woman that was really interested in the same outcome, they could accomplish more than two men or two women. Interesting. So they found out that there is an energy that, that we emit in ourselves. Okay, And this energy, uh, they've been able to define all of these different feelings for every thought that you have that's turned into an emotion for 20 seconds, there's a chemical endorphin that goes from the brain, goes throughout the body. And so they've been able to measure the energies of each one of these feelings. And so you have uh, things like guilt, blame, and shame, and fear, and revenge, and everything. And then we start coming into comfort and confidence. And pretty soon, then we finally get on up to where it's 500. 500 is love. Okay. Most of us that they have researched is operating on what, about a 200? Yeah. About a 200 level down in frustration and fear and anxiety and everything. But this is where the Christ frequency starts, you see? And so we understand that the first law of heaven is obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the first and second commandment. And so it goes, love God. Okay, got that, get it. You know, he was committed to me before I was committed to him. So it's easy for me to be committed to him because he's dedicated and committed to me. I'm going to return that by being obedient to the commandments. I can share that with my mom and dad because they love me. I can then start sharing it with my siblings. And then pretty soon I'm old enough to get married and I start sharing it with my wife. And then I have kids and everything. But then he said, I want you to take that same love, not only for me, but for your family. But I want you to extend that to your neighbors. And so we get to practice on that. And then pretty soon he says, now, remember Gethsemane? To love those that despitefully used you and me and that wanted to destroy us. Now I want you to love them. Not only love them, I want you to pray for them. And sincerely with all your heart, might, mind, and strength because they also don't know what they're doing. But it's in that that God's greatest lesson was given when he realized it was going to have an effect on us because all of us were going to be met with the adversary, the opposition that was going to say, this is too big, you can't do this. You better go back into the protect yourself, don't touch them, and you don't have to go back into those situations, but you still need to love them because those that love, that is the great Abrahamic sacrifice that we go through, because in that there is the greatest lessons learned. There was a quote that was given one time that says, I never learned anything from anybody that agreed with me. <laughs> and if you think about it, that's where we get to ponder. We get to say, now, why is it that inside of me, I am wailing up so much frustration with this person or this concept or what they're making me do? You see, so it was a little kid that I was able to learn. Look, separate myself from the feeling. Let's take a look at the situation. And is there another way to look at this? In my sociology class, okay, in high school, 
my teacher would charge us 25 cents every time we gave her an answer with I don't know. And what she was saying is she says, when I ask you a question, what do you think the answer could be? You may not know, but what could it be? Because after four, five, ten dollars, pretty soon you start going, okay, let me just think. I, she's asking me to go deep with this. She doesn't want an I don't know. And she doesn't want a, a little kindergarten answer. What could be the answer? If I did know the answer, what might it be? You see, and so that's what we have to do. That's self-talk. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we have this adage where the Lord says to lie down unto me. He also says, rise up unto me. What does that mean? That's the formula. That's God's curriculum in the 24-hour period in the circadian clock. That is when we are the closest to death. It's also the closest to get rid of the natural man. The appetites, desires, and passions that are constantly, I got to go pick up the kids in this. I got to go fix school lunch. I got to be at work. I got to do all these things. Come to be still and know the I am. Mm -hmm. And so when we are frustrated thinking all his lost, okay, what we got to do is that we lie down under the Lord. How do we do that? We count our many blessings. Okay. And as we do that, we start recognizing how much God's influence is in our lives. And then when we have given so much gratitude, there's going to be a shift. And that shift is what is wanted. And that's the time. If we know what it really, really is that we want, we are then able to ask for it. It is with a capital I because it is everlasting. Anything we ask for that isn't everlasting, that's going to turn to moth and rust, okay? We might get it, but it's going to leave us. But if we ask for what, we, what it is that we really want, okay? As you lie down at night, you can take a glass of water. And if it's, if it's clean water, it works even better. And you go ahead and you hold that in both hands. And then you ask the question that you really, really want the answer to. Okay. And then you drink, you know, you drink some of it and everything from out of the cup. Don't drink all of it. Okay. Because you're going to put that on your nightstand and then you're going to go to sleep. And after your body is done repairing Hopefully you've already digested everything so you're not going to sleep on a full stomach because if you're digesting, you're not repairing. So try to go to sleep a little bit early, okay? So you've already digested. And once your body's done repairing, then the Lord will go ahead and start talking to you in a way that you can relate and understand. And that answer will come. Now at this point, it's important that you start recognizing him. Now this is where dreams come in. So there are certain dreams that you can control and certain dreams that you want to go with. And that's an appreciation in the dream. And what you're doing is that you're telling those messengers that are bringing you the answers, okay, is there anything else? Is there anything else? And as long as you keep that attitude, it will keep coming and coming and coming. And pretty soon the windows start opening up and the understanding start coming. 
just relax, stay there and just keep giving gratitude. You haven't got out of bed yet. Okay. And just let the flow come and you can ask questions and it will come and it will make more sense in that time of your dreams than when you are awake. And then after, is that it? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Okay. God wants us to commune with him. He wants us to work with him as one person would with another. I and love then, that. I love that you're saying lie down unto the Lord because that's putting your thoughts in his arena. And when you rise up unto the Lord, you are waking up with your thoughts in his arena where he can send messages and guide your thoughts during that whole peaceful time while you're sleeping. If you lie down under the Lord, your thoughts can also be protected as well as directed, right? Yes. So you don't have to struggle with the nightmares and, and those kinds of thoughts. That but is if we lie down under the Lord and we can teach our children to lie down under the Lord, then we will not have to struggle with that kind of nightmare going on in ourselves. And if we're not lying down under the Lord and rising up under the Lord, then our day in between and our night in between is somewhat on the wasted side because we, we didn't get all that inspiration and information that we might have gotten. That's what I'm getting out of what you just shared. It, you're, you're right. You're right on because it, it's that what happens at night that helps direct the next morning. So when you wake up in the morning, you do it with cheer and excitement for what you've been given. Drink the rest of the water and write down what you've been given. Well, I am with you all the way on having your early morning divine appointment. And just, I remember, was it, was it Henry David Thoreau at Walden's Pond? who would rise up every morning and just let his thoughts just spill out through his typewriter, his old fashioned typewriter. This has been excellent information. I have absolutely loved it. I've gotten so much out of it. I hope that all of our listening audience has uh, taken notes and if not, listen to this again as a podcast because you can go back and take notes and be very aware that children have much wisdom to impart. And I love that your journey started really at six and seven years old. Thank you so much, David, for being with us. This is Karen and Grant, Joy Coaching America.